Welcome to Parkview. You guys are the few, the proud, the Christians coming out in this rain to go to church, man. I'm telling you, come on. It's been raining all morning. Last night, the Blackhawks were on in the Stanley Cup, you know, finals. And I'm preaching about Jesus getting rid of demons. Could it be Satan? I'm glad you're here. And I'm really, uh, I'm really sorry that Middle Eastern guy had to leave, you know, because you guys loved Naeem, didn't you? You guys, I mean, really welcomed him well. That was so great. Loved having him here. And uh, he will be back. Uh, he had to go to his, you know, his own church and preach, but he will be back. I mean, just a great relationship. It gave me the time to spend some time um, finishing fatherhood, really, in, in, a, in, in a way. I mean, we, it was our youngest daughter's graduation from college. Um, that's a picture of the family. Um, and we were all there together, had the grandson, had my parents there um, out in California, having a great time where they could, you know, love to have some of this rain, send them that way. But um, Becca graduated from college. She's headed off to, to Phoenix to do a, a master's program with a, with a church out there, do a residency. And it's just this weird phase of life for me. I mean, you know, it's like I'm, I'm not really dad anymore. I'm just the guy with the frequent flyer miles. That's kind of who I am, you know? And grandpa, which is super awesome. And by the way, if you didn't see the announcement on social media, the grandchild to be born next October in uh, California is a girl. And we're very excited about that. So I'll have a little Charlie and a, and a little Paris, okay? Um, we're calling her Paris. That's not probably really going to be her name. Because when Lauren was first pregnant, um, she likened the experience to when she was in Bolivia doing mission work for six months and got a parasite. So we just call a little, you know, it was going to be Perry if it was a boy and Paris if it's a girl. So we're calling the baby little Parasite. That's what it is. And that may be, um, that may be a weird segue into my sermon on demon possession, but it, it, really, it, it really works if you put it all together. Your Parasite, demon, baby, they're all life-sucking organisms inside of you, right? You see what I'm saying? Guys, I mean, didn't your wife make the demon voice a few times when she was pregnant? Get me the crackers, right? In the morning, rolling over in bed. Listen to this passage. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. This is really important. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He'd been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. This is the demon talking. For Jesus had said, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the man said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Is this the Bible or a Stephen King novel? Can I do the voice? My name is Legion, for we are many. Get me some crackers. And don't ever touch me again. Sound familiar? That, that's what I'm talking about. I, I, wanna, I want us to put ourselves in this story for a minute because 
I mean, really, the, the parasite, you know, baby thing. I mean, I, I want us to put ourselves in the story because a lot of times we'll read this and we'll think, oh, demons, you know, that's weird, whatever, and you just kind of keep going. Can we just relate this to things in our life? I mean, demon possession, I, I, I think it still happens in the world today. You travel to Haiti, you travel to some other cultures, and you'll see some things that are going on. I don't, I don't really see demon possession like it's described back then, but, but didn't this description sound like a lot of situations that we are in today? I mean, bound with chains, right? Uh, couldn't, couldn't could, you know, crying out day and night. I mean, that sounds like somebody that's got an addiction. It sounds like somebody with a mental illness. And, and, and whether that's you or, or somebody that you live with, you get this. You understand. There are a lot of us. There are a lot of people that are dealing with this kind of a situation. And maybe you can relate to them. Cried out day and night. I, I, um, I, I mean, I, I want to I use this. I'm not equating demon possession with mental illness. I, you know, if you, if you have issues like all of us do, I, I don't, I don't want to put you in that category. But I want you to understand that this is a place where we can learn about Jesus and how he does ministry to people who are living outside living in the tombs, living in places where um, they can't really get control over the things that are going on in their life. I have mental illness in, in my family. My, I, my grandma on my dad's side, I don't have a memory of her when she wasn't in a bathrobe. Night or day, whatever, she had massive depression, just never, never got out of the house, never went anywhere. Both of my dad's sisters um, suffered. One of them really suffered. We'd go visit. House was always dark. It was, uh, you know, there was always issues going on uh, for her. And, 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 you know, and my dad's got it. And, and we've got it in our family. And, you know, it's been passed on. You've heard one of my daughters talk about having to be on anxiety medicine to be able to, to sleep at night. I, I, I want you to know that, I, that, I, that, that when I read a passage like this, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about people who are, are controlled by something that is outside of their realm. And to a certain degree, that's all of us, isn't it? So take the demon part out. What should we do about it? Um, Jesus went there. He went to the tombs. If you look at, at the example of Jesus, and this is this, this, this series that we're holding, this whole thing we're doing is about Jesus going to the places where nobody else would. He was misplaced, okay? If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, 34 of 35 encounters in the Gospel of Matthew take place outside of the church, you know, the synagogue, the temple, outside. The religious people thought all the God stuff was supposed to happen inside. And that God doesn't do that much stuff out there. He does stuff in here. This is why we come. And maybe you grew up in that same kind of an idea. We come to mass, right? We come to church because that's where the God stuff happens. But that's not true. Jesus was hardly ever in the church doing God stuff. He was always out there misplaced doing the God stuff. And he said, in the same way that you gave me a mission to the world, God, Father, I give them a mission to the world. He said, as the, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We, we, we don't send into the church. We send outside of the church. And he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Interesting Samaria. Remember a story a couple of weeks ago? I talked about Jesus going into Samaria. Nobody else wanted to go there, but Jesus did. We're supposed to go to the surrounding areas. Jerusalem is right around you now, and the ends of the earth, you know, is where we go all over, the, all over the world. We do this, okay? But your Jerusalem probably has some people in it that make you uncomfortable. 
that have some issues going on in their life that you don't understand. I wrote a book on this. It's called Life on Mission. Um, I'm going to sign them out there afterwards. We only got about 30 left because we didn't really think ahead about how many of you are new and, and didn't know that there was a book out there on it. Um, this is uh, my grandson's favorite book. He's a very gifted child. <laughs> We'll get some more and I'll do it again next week because I really want you to hear it. It's the heart of what we do. And, and when, when we live our life on mission, the first thing that we have to do is connect to the people of the world. That's the point. And that's the point of this series. Week one, Jesus was misplaced to Samaria because no one else would go there. And he went to a woman that nobody else wanted to talk to who was at the well at the time that nobody else wanted to be there because that's who Jesus was. Week two, Jesus was misplaced to a guy from another religion who he said had more faith than anyone in the right religion. And Naeem did a great job unpacking that for us as a guy who grew up in Islam and, and came and was able to talk about that. Week three, Jesus was misplaced to a party. And at that party, his mom said, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you help these people? And Jesus gave us an example of going from, it's not my problem, he literally says to mom, it's not my problem, to how can I help? And that's what, what we've got to learn how to do. And every time Jesus was outside of the church place, every time he was out doing those things, the religious people were like, Jesus, why are you misplaced? You're in the wrong place. Why are you out there? Why are you with them? And Jesus, on hearing this, when they complained, he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. So, so the church ought to look less like a social club and more like a hospital. That's, that's what it ought to be. Craig Rochelle is the pastor of the largest church in the U.S., down in Oklahoma. And, and this is why. He said, several years ago, I met with a couple that had just started attending our church. They weren't the clean-looking church type. Obviously, didn't grow up at First Baptist. And, and they sat down, and they said, we're not believers, but we believe in what's going on here. And they said, and we want to do something. Craig said, I said, you mean you, like, you want to serve? And they're like, yeah, yeah. He said, this is so great. They don't even know the right language. You know, I love this. And so I said, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, I don't know. And I said, well, what are you good at? And they're like, uh, I don't know. And I asked the guy, well, what do you do for a living? He said, well, uh, I'm in sales. I'm like, what do you sell? Anyway, come to find out he was a drug dealer. And a good one. He had leadership skills. I mean, really good, good drug dealer. And, and, and I should have left well enough alone, but I asked the gal, uh, what do you do? And she looked down, kind of filled with shame. I said, you don't have to tell me. She said, no, no, I, I will. And she explained that she used her body to entertain and such. She made a living doing that. And um, she looked at me and he said, I'll never forget. She said, well, I guess you don't want us at your church anymore, do you? And I thought about it. There's a couple, they're, they're living together, not married. He's a drug dealer. She's a stripper. They don't believe in Jesus, but they see something going on here at this church, and they want to know, what should I do? I said to them, not only do I want you here, but I want you making a difference. You guys are very friendly people. How about we put you on the welcome team, and you can be the first faces that people see when they come in the door. And the girl at first had a sense of relief and then a sense of fear. She said, but what if some guy recognizes me when he walks in? <laughs> and I said, well, I guess he won't have any room to judge you now, will he? 
And the drug dealer guy slapped his leg and said, that's why I love this place, dude. So I invited this unmarried couple living together, drug dealer stripper, to work the front door. So it was kind of awkward because when both doors were open, there's a pole in the middle and it was a little freaky sometimes. But <laughs> over time, they put their faith in Jesus, became followers, disciples of Jesus, and then they got married. The last time I heard, now they're in another state helping people in those lifestyles to get out of that lifestyle. That's what the hospital's supposed to look like, isn't it? That's what the church ought to look like. <clears throat> now the problem is, some of those people are scary, those people. Some of, some of the people that, that uh, I'm not familiar with that lifestyle, they're going to be scary. And that's where I get with the demon thing. The Bible tells us that there was a demon, okay? D don't let that freak you out. Sometimes I bring that up and people are like, oh, do I have a demon, do I have a demon? Listen. To a, it's about the degree of, of stuff that's living inside of us. That's really all it is. The Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers and the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The power of darkness is all around us. So it doesn't matter whether it's a demon or whatever. I mean, we've all asked ourselves this week, how does Bruce Jenner go from the cover of Wheaties to the cover of Vanity Fair? I mean, haven't we, you can't unsee that picture, am I right? D does he have the gender demon? Is it a mental illness? What I'm saying is, it, it doesn't matter. The chemicals in his brain are not matching up with the chemicals in his body. And if you don't know somebody who suffers from gender dysphoria, then you can't possibly understand. And really, unless you suffer from it, you can't possibly understand. I have a good friend who after a long life finally admitted that he has suffered from this all of his life. And when he was telling me, walking me through the, the suicide rate for, for people that are in that situation and, you know, the suicide rate for people who have sex changes, I mean, the, just the, the, whole, the whole mental thing that's going on in there. He said, when he started talking about being age five, and walking into a public place and not knowing whether he should go to the men's or women's bathroom, I started realizing that there's a lot of people with a lot of things going on in the world that I don't know and I don't understand, but that doesn't mean I don't go be Jesus to them. I'm not saying that Bruce slash Caitlin is handling things the right way or the wrong way. I'm saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a demon, if it doesn't matter if it's a mental illness, it doesn't matter if it is my sin nature. We all have it to a different degree or another. I don't want to dress like a woman, but I am tempted to look too long at women who aren't dressed enough, okay? I have that problem, and I'm really thankful for Blackhawk season because all the women are wearing their Patrick Kane jerseys around, covering everything up. That's what I like. Just wear them all summer long, okay? That'll help me out. What I'm saying is, I got, I've, got, I've got a Mr. Hyde living inside of me. You've got a Mr. Hyde living inside of you. We can't be Dr. Jekyll all the time. There is a sin nature that is inside, and that's why we, know Jesus, we need Jesus, all right? The Apostle Paul, who I would class as probably one of the best Christians of all time. I mean, yeah, he used to kill Christians, but he got converted and he wrote most of the New Testament. He said, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. That sound familiar? For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I, I don't want to do, I keep on doing. It is the sin living in me that does it. So like we've been saying all along, 
what we need to do is stop judging people who have different issues than us. And the problem here is that when I don't understand the problem, somebody else's problem, I'm more likely to judge them and I'm less likely to go want to be around them. And you talk about of all the people that you would not necessarily want to be around, it's this guy, right? Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. I, I don't want to have anything to do, to do with this guy. But that's where Jesus goes. Actually, Jesus was usually misplaced with people who were misplaced. That's usually who he hung out with. Why? Because they're the ones that needed a doctor. And the interesting thing about Mark 5 is this is probably the most misplaced place that Jesus ever goes. Because the cemetery, he's at the tombs. This is not just a scary place, it's also an unclean place. If you understood Judaism, you couldn't be around the, the dead because then you would be unclean and you couldn't go worship. That's where Jesus was. You put that together with the context, you gotta remember to read the Bible in context. It, if you read this in context, what it actually says is that Jesus was probably not just in the least likely place he ought to be with his disciples, but he went there at night. Think, think about this. There's no Matthew, Mark 4 and more, no Mark 5 in the Bible, all right, when it was written. We added that along the way. So back it up, just a few verses into Mark 4. That day, still the same day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, and the boat was nearly swamped, and Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion, because he's not afraid. And the disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, they believe he's the Messiah. They, they've seen him do some other miracles. But now he can just get up and say, hey, knock it off. And the storm quits. Okay, don't, don't stop. We keep right on reading. They went across, this is Mark 5, to the, across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Lake, the Sea of Galilee is eight miles across. It's really not a sea. It's just a lake. Okay, it's eight miles across. So all I, can, all I can discern from here is that when they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, if they got in the boat in the evening, it's still nighttime. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Okay. That day, he says to his disciples, hey, Let's go over and do this. Let's go over and see what's going on. I mean, and on the way, he calms the storm. Okay, put this picture together. They're already freaked out. They're already terrified, the Bible says, because Jesus can talk to lightning. And Jesus says, hey, I got an idea. Let's land in the cemetery and talk to Freddy Krueger. Here's why this is important. If you want to follow Jesus, he might take you to some scary places. Some really crazy, scary places. Christianity is not for wimps. A lot of preachers that will tell you that following Jesus is going to make your life less scary. <laughs> Do you see that? This man, this man, he, 
He lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. I don't know if you watch The Walking Dead or not, but the idea is not to go into the place where the walkers are. You want to try to avoid them. My daughter and son-in-law have some good friends who are uh, big Walking Dead fans, and they had a little baby, and they, they realized they probably ought to not watch The Walking Dead while their baby was awake when she started making these sounds. Probably, probably ought to turn the TV off. You know what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Zoe the zombie, that's what they called her, okay? And, and can you imagine how cool the wedding video is going to be someday, you know, at, at her wedding? Oh, look what you're marrying. This is Zoe the zombie. This is what I'm talking about. The Samaritan woman a few weeks ago is a friendless person who has a lot of issues and a lot of needs, okay? The Roman centurion is a guy that was outside of the faith. These people that Jesus was misplaced with were usually the people that nobody else wanted to go be around. You don't run to the walkers, you run away from the walkers, but Jesus ran to the scary people. And when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran up and fell on his knees in front of him and shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? Because demons know who Jesus is. You know, whether you do or not, I hope you do, but they do. Please don't torture us. Jesus had said, come out, you impure spirit. And Jesus said, what is your name? And the man said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Okay, this is a big problem. Not only is this guy demon-possessed, but this guy is demon-possessed. Like, plural. Legion is a battalion. What he's saying is, I don't have this. I'm not Joe the demon. I'm like the army battalion of demons. I've got a bunch of demons inside of me. Very, very scary. So what does Jesus do? Jesus does something really interesting until you unpack it really weird. He makes deviled ham. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. I don't know why. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. First case ever of swine flu. (laughs) Then those who tended the pigs ran off and reported in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man, this is important, who had been possessed by the legion of demons, who couldn't even be chained and was running around the tombs naked. They saw him sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. The disciples were afraid when they realized Jesus had the power over the storm. Now people are afraid when they realize Jesus has the power over legion. They were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They just couldn't deal with it. They were like, you know. I mean, they weren't happy about it. I mean, think about it. If you're a pig owner, you're not too happy about this, right? I mean, did they have insurance? 
Did they have act of God caveat on their, on their policy? Because, I mean, like literally, God literally wiped out, you know, their, their herd. I mean, this is, this is interesting. But in spite of my love for all things pork that you very well know, I actually think this is an interesting deal here. Evidently, the demons needed to go somewhere. I don't understand how, you know, the demon thing works, but they needed to go somewhere. Uh, so, you know, send them to Tampa Bay. No, I, I hear you, but they needed to go somewhere. So Jesus sends them to the pigs. Here's the question. Why were there pigs? Why were the people herding pigs in the region of the Gerasenes? You remember these are Jews, right? Pigs are not kosher. You are not allowed to have pork or to be around pigs. It was one of God's ways of making us grateful, even more grateful for Jesus. Now we're saved by grace with a side of bacon. How do you say no to Christianity, ladies and gentlemen? They weren't supposed to be tending pigs. There weren't supposed to be pigs there. I think the story with the pigs is, however, ultimately, that they had to decide what was more important, their livestock or their neighbor. They had to decide, is this guy worth losing out for? And in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus said, you know, the guy had to, he had to get down, he had to pick the guy up, he had to take him to an inn, and he left money. What I'm saying is, I believe what this means for us is that getting close to people who are, have different issues than us, that are living outside the city, is sometimes scary, and it's going to probably cost us. And that's, that's why, honestly, that's why I don't do it more. That's probably why all of us don't do it more. We're afraid of what's going to happen if I get in a relationship with this person, if I reach out to this person who has these issues that I don't understand, what might happen to my life? And it's probably because we've all seen this movie. If you haven't seen What About Bob, it's, it's time for you to go indulge in that movie because it's exactly about the fact that, that getting involved with people who have needs and issues that I don't understand, that live outside of the city, it is going to cost you. It's not going to be easy. And it may be a little scary sometimes. But watch what happens to this guy after Jesus heals him. After he, he comes to Jesus and Jesus heals him. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go home with him, and Jesus did not let him. But he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all of the people were amazed. Here's how the mission works. I am called to be a witness in my Judea and Samaria and my uttermost parts of the world, but most importantly, in my Jerusalem. And in my Jerusalem, there are likely to be some people who have some issues that I don't understand. And it may be scary and it may cost me, but I'm supposed to be willing to be like Jesus and be misplaced to these places where I can go be with this person and help them find Jesus. And then when they find Jesus, they are going to be able to go reach people that I could never reach in the first place. This is the scripture Naeem kept using the last two weeks. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation that God wants to be with us. 
So we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. So as we go, as we're misplaced, as we go outside the walls and be Jesus, that's what happens. And here's the beauty. Nobody can argue with your story. And and I tell this to people all the time as they're suffering through things that are going on. Someday, God is going to bring you through this, and you're going to be able to relate to the Scripture. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, And the God of all comfort, I know some of you need to hear this today. I I, I get that. I know that you need to hear this today. You need to know that he's the father of compassion and he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When Jesus heals me of my demon possession, of my whatever, fill in the blank, I can go tell everybody else. That's how AA works, right? That's how Celebrate Recovery works. That's how these things happen, is that I'm never done because now I'm supposed to pass it on. Now, here's my my warning to you, all right? Don't do this alone. Don't do this alone. Jesus sent out 72 to go do mission work while he was with them. And it says, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them two by two. Two by two, ahead of him, to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field. And he says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Hey, it's going to be scary out there. That's why you need to go two by two. I'm not telling you to go out to the, to the outside, to the tombs outside of the city and go marry that person. I'm not telling you to go out and, and you know, get into business with them. I'm telling you to go love everybody all around you. And when you go, the, the deeper the issues that are going on for that person, you need to go two by two. You need to go with counselors. You need to go with, have, have a, a psychologist uh, available. You need to have people that are around you if these are some deep issues. I have worked with people over the course of time who ended up committing suicide. I have worked with people who have ended up doing, having issues in their life that were deep in their life and there was no way I'm working with them now and there's no way I have the power to be able to figure these things out. That's why we have a team together. And I wanna tell you if you struggle with mental issues, every one of my family that does is on medication. I'm I'm not saying that that this is just about Jesus and what God does supernaturally. I'm saying that we go out and we heal the world. And you find whatever help you can. But don't be afraid because you have authority. You have authority over any of these problems that are going on. If you are the person that suffers with this, don't be afraid of the Mr. Hyde inside of you. Don't be afraid of the evil that is within you because the Bible says the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus in you, and if you don't have Jesus, we invite you to receive him today. But if you, if you have Jesus inside of you, Paul says it this way. He says, all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, the future, any powers, height, depth, anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in us in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm convinced of that. And if God is calling you to go be a believer who is going to go to the tombs, who's going to go outside to this person that you've been avoiding because you're, you're afraid it's going to cost you and it's scary and you're going there, understand that you have authority. Listen to this scripture. 
the 72 returned and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. What's fascinating about that is that you have authority. I've been to places where I was only allowed to go there because I had a little badge, because I had authority. I was able to go into Cuba and do mission work because I had a connection. Nobody else can go to Cuba, but I was able to go in. It was an incredible experience to go past the Iron Curtain, as it were, and to go into communism and to be able to do things. Why could I do that? Because I had authority. What I'm telling you is if you're suffering with these mental things going on in your life, if you're suffering you know, with addictions going on in your life, anything that feels like you're chained and you're bound and, and you're crying out day and night, you get Jesus, you will have authority, and we will help you. We have a program here called Fresh Hope. We would love to invite you to. It's just for people suffering with mental illness and issues. We want to do this together. And for all of the rest of us, don't be afraid to be misplaced. <laughs>